Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, 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 February 24th. Another Champ Sunday in the books. Three ATP finals wrapped up, an ATP Challenger final I want to briefly talk about as well. Joining me to break down those matches, you of course know him as one of the co-hosts of this Mini Break podcast, a uh, former tennis and men's tennis superstar, which is ringing on my mind most dearly as his Division Three ITA men's champion indoor championships wrapped up this weekend. Of course, we affectionately refer to him here as James Foster McDonald. Jamie, welcome back to the mini break. How are you feeling after the indoor push? Well, first of all, I feel like you lingered on the word former there, really just to, to rub it in, <laughs> which, um, I mean, you're not wrong. But no, it definitely hurt a little bit this weekend getting to watch all the D3 action. It was a lot of fun. Obviously, that, that's, that's close to my heart, as you mentioned, so watched a lot of that. A good weekend of tennis all across the board, though. I know I, I'm um, aware enough to know that not everyone in the tennis world was solely looking at that, and there was a lot of other good pro stuff as well. But just so you know, I'm well-versed all the way from D3 up to the pros. It's good fun. <laughs> no, we, we run deep here at Cracked Rackets. No topic sure. over uh, or escapes our view, and of course, that's why we do these mini-break podcasts each and every day, because we know how overwhelming the tennis world can get for the standard fan. And of course, if you missed any of our weekend mini-breaks, it's because you're not a member of our Patreon. We know Tennis Week doesn't stop on a Friday, and neither does our podcast. So if you do want to listen to those Saturday-Sunday editions of the show, be sure to go check out our Patreon. You subscribe. Not only will you get those, but you'll get video interviews we've done if you subscribe. It might be out of free mug range, but maybe you can negotiate with Dalton if you sign up now. Get yourself a free mug as well. And of course, we appreciate so many of you who have already taken the time to go on and sign up for our Patreon. And we also, of course, appreciate our friends at Diadem who make these podcasts possible. Diadem on the forefront of all racket and string technology go- innovations going on right now in the game of tennis. Don't take our word for it. Take the word of the pros. Seku Bangora, Carousel, and others. They're using it. And if it's good enough for the pros, I promise you it is good enough for you. Jamie, I know you yourself are in the market for some strings right now. And I, I believe Diadem's the way you're leaning. That is correct. I'm simply trying to wait and pull the trigger. And which which one do I really want? You know, I've had some arm trouble, so I'm looking into that. But my game, you know, relies on some heavy spin, so I'm also going to be looking there. A um, lot of different considerations, but yeah, I'm going to walk away with a real diadem string, and no doubt, I'm going to be happy. No, I just can't wait to a change your introduction to call you a high school tennis head coach, oh, and then God. b to talk about how your team has made the switch to diadem and how you're going to be forcing all the guys to use that because you, of course, know it'll bring the best out of their games. Smart, genius, yeah. actually. Yeah, of course. So again, use our promo code right now, CR50. Get 50% of your diadem uh, order off and, you know, be ahead of the curve. You don't want to be the one caught behind. You want to get to diadem before all of your friends are using it. This is a deep cut, uh, but there was a time when athletic DNA was flying around everywhere. Oh, yeah. I, think this is, I think this is going to be a little bit better. You don't want to be the guy who, like in 2020, now is wearing athletic DNA. You wanted to no. be that in 2010. Uh, same deal. You don't want to be the guy in 2030 who says, hey, I just made the switch to diadem dim while everyone else is like really you didn't do it 10 years ago when you heard about the cr promo code so be sure to go get that switch underway now and of course we do want to thank them and also our sponsors at aerobar who were responsible for getting us some more pro gear to give away to your friends and before we get to the tennis action and i promise we will break down the tennis action but there's a lot of fun stuff going on here at cracked rackets so we got to get the plugs out of the way first we have a free winner uh free gear giveaway winners to announce let's start with nicholas no last 
name. He wants to stay incognito. That's pretty cool, Nicholas. Uh, but you're one of our winners of the Steve Johnson shirts for the Nicholases out there in case there are multiple of you. You're at that Twitter account, and I apologize for broadcasting it now. Uh, Instagram account, excuse me, at BCCHF718. So if that's the Nicholas that you are, uh, congratulations, Nicholas. You did the job. Westoff, be sure to give our winner some sort of free giveaway applause sound effect. Uh, that's the winner of the Steve Johnson on the jar- John Isner front. Have to give a big congratulations to our friend David C. Torres. And or David Torres, I know the C because that's from his Instagram and Twitter accounts at David C. Torres too. Uh, congratulations, guys, and thank you to both of you for leaving as many reviews, as many subscribers. Uh, comments as you did on our podcast feeds uh, it means the, a lot to us so seriously thank you to anyone who participated hopefully we'll be able to do even more of this in the future moving forward but nicholas david mazel tov, as we say in my religion to you guys you win some free gear from the pros and you know i'll tell you what there's a lot of good stuff from the pros this week feels like we were the winners of some free excellent tennis i mean and that's what we got to watch all weekend long not the best segue i'm working on it jamie but three championship matches to recap from this past Sunday at the ATP level on yesterday's mini break podcast we talked about Simona Halep taking the title over Elena Rybakina again to listen to that you're going to have to go unlock that Patreon or you can go watch the video online on YouTube at Cracked Rackets right now but we only have the ATP men's matches to start with and let's start with the guy who brought home his second title of the 2020 season that's a guy by the name of Christian Guerin who with his win today over I believe it was um Gianluca Magier, 7-6-7-5, wins the fourth ATP title of his career, Jamie. You look at the company he now joins in the group. We qualify as next-gen guys born 1995 or later. Zverev's got 11, Medvedev 7, Kyrgios 6, Tsitsipas 5, and then Hatchinov, Rublev, and Garen 4. We talked about this on a GSP that may not see the light of day, Jamie, but, I mean, you talk about Christian Garen now, and I, I made a joke on uh, social media, on Twitter, over the weekend of he's my fourth favorite to, uh, right now entering the French Open it gets more legitimate with every result like this he has yeah I mean look this guy knows how to play on clay right um, we've seen it not only in this year but man in 2020 has he looked good so far it's been very impressive um, I mean in particular that win over Chorich I think he did a great job um, of battling when he needed to and getting across the finish line um, I think the question has been for him, of course, he's so young, so it, it, it's ridiculous to talk about it as if, you know, oh, the question's always been, will it get off the clay? I think it absolutely will. It's just this is clearly his foundation. This is where the big, the bigger results for him are going to start. Um, and then it's a turn and it, it's a game of translating from there. Um, to the hard courts and potentially even grass as well. I'm glad you used that term, and I don't say this enough to you. So, hey, great shot. Seriously, foundation. That's the key. Mm-hmm. You want to know where you know 60% of Christian Garen's wins are going to come during any given season? They're going to come during the clay court part of the year. They're going to come on clay courts. In February, when he has the choice, go play indoors in Rotterdam, indoors in France, or go to South America and play the clay swing. Guess what? This is what he's going to be doing, and he's not the only guy who does that. So I've seen some shade thrown over the past couple of days a lot of it Nick Kyrgios inspired uh at guys like Garen or the Casper Roods who they get called dirt you know they're they ride the dirt they're playing on the dirt all the time they're just grinders who are clay court grinders uh I mean for Christian Garen look the stats in his career thus far would suggest that yes the majority of his success has come on clay 37 and 17 on that surface 13 and 23 on hard courts two and five on grass 
So without a doubt, it's you know the only surface that he has a winning record on. But he also has four ATP titles on it. This is the first at the 500 level, but the three at the 250 level. He also made another final on top of it last year. You talk about the wins he's gotten over this stretch. It's been really impressive for Garen beating guys. You know, short sure, not the most confidence, but still uh, the fact that he's come back from down a set five separate occasions. He beats guys like Cuevas, like Schwartzman on the dirt. Uh, you know, this week he's going to go play a again in another clay court event in Santiago, Chile, and you understand maybe why he would want to play an event on his native soil in Chile. Uh, But at the same time, I mean, this guy signed up for a clay court event, Jamie. He's either in the final or winning it. And last year, he didn't play any of the clay court masters event. So with this title, he's up to career high number 17. I asked you this again on the now lost in time, great shot podcast, but good take, bad take, hot take, given the fact that he really doesn't have any more points coming off the board through that Roland Garros. I mean, he does have some, but he's already made up for them given the fact that he didn't play Indian Wells, Miami, or any of the three clay court masters. And given the fact that, you know, he lost to Stan Wawrinka in the second round of last year's French open this year, he's guaranteed to at the very, least be a seed to not have to face another seeded player till the third round good take bad take or, or hot take he really does have a shot at cracking that top 10 by the end of the french open Ooh, hey, hey. Uh, i won't go all the way to it's i mean he's got a lot to do he's got a lot of work and a lot of people to pass um and not only does just any people but some of these guys and i'm sure we'll talk about them later and if not on this pod i'm sure on many throughout the week who have looked really good. And so not only is he going to be performing well, we expect on the clay, there's going to be all these other guys who are also going to be posting good results, whether they're on the clay or, you know, on the hard courts, wherever they may be. So top 10 seems like a reach to me. Seems a little hot for me at the moment. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, again, there's so many points, but like, you know, the obvious ones, Federer loses an Indian Wells title. I I don't remember if he won in Miami last year. Maybe he didn't win in Indian Wells, and he did win in Miami. It was one of those two, but he's going to lose a lot of points from the Sunshine Dew, and he played, I think, a bunch of Masters events last year on the clay as well. He's not playing any clay this season. A guy like Berrettini, so many points to defend through the French Open. I mean, you can pick different, you know, bits and places here and there. For Garen, it's not only that this is his best surface moving forward, it's that he's got confidence on it already, and there's always a transition portion of the year from transitioning from the hard courts to the clay. He's not really going to have to worry about that. I mean, you know, sure, Indian Wells, Miami, if he loses first round, second round, you know, maybe gets one win at each event, that's not the best, but he doesn't have any points to defend there. That's what I keep coming back to. There's no, like the chance for him to just accumulate big points on his best surface. This is where the moment you live for as a, as a young pro, you're like, oh, everything is lined up beautifully for me scheduling wise. And I think that is the the point we're at with Christian Guerin, who, you know, over the past, uh, I think it is 52 weeks, it's like Djokovic, Nadal, and that's it, who have better records than him on the clay. And that is the sort of company he's kept. He has been a top 10 player. Now, he's never advanced past the second round of a major. And of course, until you do that, uh, that's a strike against him. But he looked really good throughout the weekend in this final. You know, 76% of his first serves go in. He made 63%. He won 65% uh, percent of his second serve points as well. I would just describe him, because we haven't really talked about his tennis yet, Jamie. How would you describe his game? I would just say there, there's no weakness. The uh, He's one of those guys who just has such a high floor. Oh, absolutely. And particularly on the clay, right? That, that's some, sort of the foundation, once again, of some of these great clay quarters is they're just so solid. 
right? They can do so many things across the court. Um, you know, it, it looks at times it looks almost impossible to wear their strokes down um, because they have the, that relentless ability, that shot tolerance to simply grind from the baseline. Um, and then the ones who take it up a notch also have abilities to to win points and end points on the clay, even though it's harder to do. And Christian Guerin's one of those guys. Um, I think he's done a great job of you know asserting his game thus far while remaining rock solid on the defensive side. So, um, you know, he's looked very, very good. And once you, you know, once again, of course, we know this guy's good on clay, right? That's where his great results have come. It, it really, the question mark for him becomes, all right, can we, can we replicate any of these off the clay? Um, and, and that just, we, we've yet to see that. So that, that's really the, the question mark in 2020. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. It's a guy who you'd say, particularly on the dirt, because he moves so well and changes direction yeah. so well. There's a reason his game, you know, the former junior French Open champion, it's well suited uh, for the dirt. And I mentioned this, uh, or I may not have mentioned this yet, but all of his professional finals, but one, and that dates back to the Futures and Challenger circuit as well, they came on clay too. So this isn't surprising. We should say for Jean-Luc Maget, uh, Maget, I don't know how to pronounce it, excuse me, uh, but the qualifier from Italy, you know, fourth I think ATP tournament of his career he makes the finals he's into the top 100 with this result I believe he's going to end up around number 80 um, by making the final here great performance for him you got to keep in mind he had to come back today after winning a three-set semifinal earlier in the day against uh, Balaz and then to come back have to play two more matches to be uh, uh, to play another match it doesn't matter who you're playing but to have to play another match on clay in the same day that he was up 5-3 in that second set on Garen speaks to how well he played this week but for Christian Guerin who as I mentioned on a nine match winning streak five of those nine wins came after trailing by a set here he wins the last four games to win the title just seems fitting I mean it's crazy that he's going to play again next week and would it shock me if he pulls out absolutely not uh but just a rock solid performance from him in Rio all week long yeah absolutely and and you know results like these are exactly why and just confirm you know what we want to see from him on the clay look he just continues to rise up the ranks um and you know the longer he's on the clay you know the higher the possibility is that he continues to ascend even further i mean that's why your take goes into the hot take instead of simply the bad take is because from what we've seen from him on the clay he's so dangerous and he can knock out these guys like a team granted team obviously um, i mean at least obvious to me um, you know, sometimes you can kind of see the cracks starting to form, um, you know, teams, a guy who we've seen on the clay and I didn't think he's at his best. So maybe any draw that they um, share, perhaps Garen's got a better shot because uh, you know, someone like team isn't, you know, completely at his best and going to, going to win it. But ultimately Garen doing his job, getting the title and, you know, people like that are dangerous. He's on the clay. He's going to be phenomenal. And I think he's going to rack up a ton of points from all the clay court tournaments. He plays this way. Yeah. It's why again, Look for a rankings push. If he doesn't get inside the top 15, and that's a bold thing to say, but just points-wise where he's at, that'll he's be close. a disappointment. He's yeah, close. no, that'll just – because you have three Masters results on the dirt uh, to play with, and it's like you can't find a, you know, a round of 16, maybe even one quarterfinal in that grouping. That sounds crazy to me for Christian Guerin. It wouldn't shock me at all to see him make a bit of a push. So really good result for him in Rio. We all took notice of that. What's crazy is we had a Tsitsipas FAA final today, and that's not the thing we're leading this show with. In fact, it's not even the thing I want to do in the B segment. I'm going to push that all the way back to our C block because I think the next performance we have to talk about is 
certainly uh, our best performance of the day. The only guy who can say, hey, I went out and won a semifinal and a final match to get the job done. And that's young American Riley Opelka, who starts off his day with a three-set win over Milos Raonic. Uh, he wins that match 4-6-7-6-6-3. Comes back two and a half hours later, has to play fellow top-notch management client, a guy he played in New York, at the New York Open, I think, a week ago. Yoshihita right. Nishioka, who had been sitting pretty, I suppose, in that morning session got to sleep in, maybe even enjoy a little bit of brunch action, which I know in Boca or in Del Rey, excuse me, great brunch scene in Del Rey. So hopefully he got a chance to go down there, get a little samosa action, a samosa, uh, excuse me, um, a little bit of, you know, just a little, I, see, I don't drink in the morning. The truth is, I don't know That's a thing say, about mimosas. brunch. Uh, yeah, mimosa. I was just trying, samosa is the Indian delicious, uh, almost I'm trying to think of how to describe it. It's almost like a wonton, but fried. I don't know how to do it, but the point is, not a brunch guy. Neither was Riley Opelka, apparently, as he was straight business today. Three-set win for him over Nishioka. 7-5-6-7-6-2, but Jamie, I watched that match, and it was so fascinating to watch the contrast in style. Riley Opelka, I mean, he's going to try and hit through everyone at all times, regardless of his conditions, but you know, trying to watch him hit through these windy conditions in Del Rey against Nishioka, who was working spin angles, just doing everything he could to try and survive, to try and keep Opelka off rhythm. Opelka had break chances at multiple points in the back half of that second set. I thought he was in control of this match. And ultimately, I mean, the performance he put forward today, I'll save that good take, hot take, uh, all right, I'll just get into it right now. Good take, bad take, hot take. Opelka not only will end his season inside the top 20, but I think he might end his year as the top-ranked American, Jamie, because I just grow, continue to grow more and more impressed with the seven-footer. Good take, bad take, hot take. Well, um, inside the top 20, I'm going to say it's a good take because I will read you verbatim one of my takes. Opelka <laughs> will be in the top 20 this year. So <laughs> clearly we were thinking along the same lines. Um, uh, I mean, obviously I, I get a little weird when we start talking about takes in terms of like year end rankings, because we're so far away that, you know, who knows, but for seven me, foot tall, one bad fall and his shin. Exactly. Gone. Exactly. So, you know, a top 20 sort of goal seems just so attainable from what the level of tennis we we've seen from him and you know you talk about this match in particular you mentioned you know he was in control he's going to be in control of so many matches he's playing because of the dynamic he brings to the court you know he's always going to be that aggressor look at this match he gets 27 aces so effective on the serve of course that's what we expect but man when he's putting in 70 percent of them and winning 87 percent of those first serves i mean what do you do okay I agree with you, but here is the concerning thing, and it's not just the one match. We saw it in both matches throughout the weekend against Nishioka for Opelka. And this is just to play quick devil's advocate because we're both on the train. Uh, clearly, the group think is working strongly. And for the record, this is a train you guys can date back all to, you know, the 2018 next-gen uh, rankings that Ben Rothenberg and I did as a GSP where we both put Riley Opelka in that second tier just below the Opelkas, the Zeros, or if they, below the Opelkas, excuse me, below. That's how big <laughs> a shadow Opelka casts. He's below himself. Um, No, below the Zverevs, the Tsitsipas, and FAAs of the world because you just don't see someone that tall with that serve uh, who can move around the court like he does. I would argue towards the back half of that second set in particular, it was Opelka who was playing the role of grinder. It was Opelka 
who was just getting back that extra ball, trying to force Nishioka to play aggressive. And you really couldn't play aggressive in this wind. It neutralized everything. It was survivor out there. And credit to Yoshihide Nishioka, by the way, one se- or made 70% of his first serves, won 62% of those points, uh, 72% of his second serve points. Somehow, despite those service numbers, managed to face 12 break points. He saved eight of them. Now for Opelka, uh, you know, three, he faced four break points. He saved three of them. Uh, but Nishioka did everything he could. He also flipped the script on Riley whenever possible. As I mentioned, Opelka, 10 of 28 on those second serve points, 36% conversion rate there for Opelka in the first match of the day against Rayonich. Uh, same sort of success on the first serves, made 64% of them, won 86% of those points. And I think that's a testament to still him getting better, More, most importantly, as a first volleyer when he serves and volleys. There used to be a point where he would serve and volley just to serve and volley, right? Mm-hmm. And now he does seem to have a plan of action up there, even if it's still not the most natural. But I think his drop volleys, his sequence of volleys, uh, his, you know, his sequencing of multiple volleys has gotten a lot better. But, you know, that 15 of 30, 32 on the second serve point. He still hangs way too many second serves for someone his size, and that's where you go, wow. Like, someone with his height, the serve is going to get better, and, like, everything else he does... It's just gotten to the point where, you know, before you're like, okay, maybe it's ATP top 100 stuff. No. The power he can put on his return, his baseline skills, they're borderline top 50 now, and that is freaking scary. Yeah, I mean, look, he's looked very good, and I think this is one one of those guys, too, where, you know, the the better he serves, the more he's freed up to play that confident game from the ground. Um, and so, you know, the better he's serving, the more he improves that, particularly on the second serve the more chances he's going to make for himself because he's going to be feeling looser. He's going to be more confident, right? Uh, So many of those games, most people are going to have a lot harder time holding than he is. Um, And you can use that. I mean, that's sort of, that's sort of an advantage he's got in the mental game because he steps up in the line. He says, yeah, most likely I'm going to ace you twice in this game. And here we are. Right. Um, You know, most guys don't have that luxury of having such a huge serve um, that they can rely on so easily. Opelka has that, therefore, in the return games and anytime he gets into those ground stroke rallies, he's freed up a little bit. Um, And I think he's going to only get more dangerous the more that becomes the case and he serves even better and better. Yeah, I, I think that's completely fair. And, you know, on the flip side of this one, for Yoshihita Nishioka with the final appearance this week, he cracks the top 50 for the first time in his young career. I think Nishioka looks exceptional. I think the fact, you know, it takes someone like a Riley Opelka to, you can really just blow him off the court with that first serve because of the huge height disparity between the two and watching them shake hands, just watching all of the trophy presentations, all of the different things. That's must-see content. It's just amazing. There are, literally is a foot and a half of difference between the two players in the finals that, that's got to be near, if not at the record. I think there was like a Duty Sela, Ivo Karlovich match yep. or something from before. That's exactly came to my chair mind. Be- yeah, yep. the chair being pulled yep. out for the hug, but you know, this has got to be right near that. And, you know, for Nishioka, that he's top 50, he's got a bunch of points coming off the book for him at Indian Wells as well, but that he's going to get into, you know, it should get into at the very least qualifying, but probably the main draw of Indian Wells and Miami. It bodes well for the young Japanese player who I know, you know, we both are huge fans of. Oh, yeah, look, I mean, there's there so many great things you can say about Nishioka and, and his game in particular, but um, I'm really excited for him, um, and I think just, you know, a preview as well, I think he's he's got a fun match coming up in Dubai, he's going to be playing Air Bear. That's crazy. Um, 
you know. No, his first match in that tournament is to get on board that plane and make it there in time and beat any— Like, if he loses that match, that's a schedule loss. Uh, yeah. I mean, what is it, Tuesday? So it's, yeah, we're recording, what, Sunday night? So he's got the day of Monday. Uh, yeah, yeah, but let, it's, it's like, tight. what, a 10-12-hour flight? So he gets there plus the 8-hour time difference, and it's already Monday night. Yeah, it's tight. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not great. <laughs> yeah. That's tough. I mean, how much would the appearance fee have to be for you to to where you wouldn't pull out of the event? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, there and and I mean, he obviously wants to play it as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. maybe that. Yeah, maybe it's worth it. I no, don't I'm know. Just, I mean, it's, it's it's tough. He's put in a tough situation. There's no way around that. I mean, it's difficult flying, you know, that much and going across, and you know, then you got to be expected to show up and, and have a good match and against a guy like Air Bear who's looked solid thus far. And yeah, it, it's a tall order, but. Um, Nishioka's looked really good, and I'm excited. All I'm saying is Riley Opelka did this right, uh, where he says, "Hey, I'm I'm going to Acapulco after. I'm going to enjoy a, w- a week at home in Del Rey. I'm going to get to play a tournament and stay at my own house for the same event. How rare is that for a tennis player? Yeah. And then I'm going to go party in Mexico and go celebrate. And it's like a three hour flight, and that's just going to be delightful. Um, so great scheduling from Riley Opelka for Nishioka. Bold move. I know you you know you want to chase those 500 points, although I think Acapulco is a 500 as well, but um. Just, I, I mean, bold, it's it's bold, I suppose. But for both of them to even have to play this week, bold move. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, you know, hopefully that doesn't make the level of tennis drop for either of them. But yeah, you, you got to suspect that that could definitely be a real issue, particularly for Nishioka. No, if you're Riley Opelka, you played two matches today. I'd be like, someone go get me in and out, and I'm not playing. I'm not touching a racket today. <laughs> like I'm, I'm just, I'm putting my legs up. I'm icing. Yeah, he's and I'm just watching whatever. For sure. Yeah, I'm listening to uh, the Mini Break podcast because yeah, he, I'm a subscriber a on Patreon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what I would do on my day off. I don't go to brunch. All I do is watch tennis and consume tennis content. Come on. That sounds ideal to me, Jamie. It doesn't sound ideal to you. Oh, it does. That's why I do it. That's why I spent all day watching D3 Indoors, man. <laughs> we already yeah. talked about that. <laughs> Although That's I did true. Well, you as well. So I won both. I did have the stream up on my phone as I was watching brunch. I'm not afraid to admit that. Yeah. That's just a G move, and shout out to the Mrs. McDonald. I, I know she, you guys aren't engaged yet, but of course I know you have a girlfriend for tolerating all of that nonsense. Uh, I was about to say, Mrs. McDonald real... be my mother, and she was also a brother. Yeah. So there you go. Well, I was going to say, Deb, of course, Debbie McDonald, I believe is her name. Well done. Uh, sub- subscriber on Patreon. So Indeed. of course I'm Love eternally grateful well. to Mrs. McDonald. A uh, big fan of her on this podcast. Uh, but here's this. You claim – here's a – transition for you. You say I don't take you anywhere. I'm going to take you to France now, Jamie. I'm going to take you to Marseille, in fact, for our last breakdown, and we can do this one a little bit on the quicker note because I know uh, this was the least eventful, in my opinion, of the finals. That, of course, was maybe on paper what should have been the most exciting matchup of the day. Stefano Tsitsipas taking on Felix Ogier Aliasim, two of the young up-and-coming you know, former top juniors that we have all been so excited about and continue to be so excited about moving into this next next decade of ATP events. In this affair, it was all Tsitsipas. He ends up taking out FAA 6-3-6-4 fairly routinely in a final. The big point now for FAA, yes, it's his second straight final, and I believe he's hovering now right about the top 20, uh, maybe even number 18 range in the live rankings himself after these past two weeks of results. But you know, for Felix, it feels worth mentioning. Five finals now for him. He's 0-5 in them. 
I use that tone as a setup, although I think I know the answer you're going to go with. Are you at all concerned that he continues to not even come up short, but just seems to be unable thus far to find his best level in one of these finals matches? Uh, not really. I mean, look, he's 19. Um, and yeah, he's going exactly. up against Sitsipas, who, yes, Sitsipas is only 21. But Defending Sitsipas, champ. Yeah, I mean, look, Sitsipas has the experience edge over him big time. Um, and I think that showed today, right? So, yeah, maybe FAA didn't play his best, but Sitsipas played a clean match, wins this one three and four, served really well and was effective on that, gave himself opportunities. And, you know, I'm not surprised Sitsipas win this. He comes into, into this the favorite um, over FAA, and he gets the job done in straights. Yeah, I, I think Tsitsipas, the biggest thing for him is just how well he served all sure. week indoors after losing early. Or I think, did he lose to Pospisil last week? Who knocked him out yes. uh, for Tsitsipas? He did lose to Pospisil. Uh, um, well, in you know, Rotterdam, you mean? Or where? Yeah, in Rotterdam. Yeah, in Rotterdam, he actually lost to Bedene. And- Bedene, excuse me. So, yeah, that loss to Bedene. He beat Pospisil here. That's what I'm confusing. Pospisil knocked out Medvedev um, last week. But for I think for Tsitsipas, the biggest thing to bounce back from that result against Bedene to come here, you know, just I thought all week he got he played better and better as the tournament progressed, really did a number on Mikhail Yimmer, who, you know, I think fondly of in that first round one and three. But more importantly, he just didn't drop a set here all weekend long. And it was these same sort of first serve numbers that we saw where he's making 73 three percent of his first serves against Felix winning 78 percent of those points over 50 percent on the second serve as well in this match he was eight of 15 53 percent saved four of the five break points he faced more importantly created nine break chances for himself converted three of them he was just on top of uh, of FAA he attacked as much as possible he seems to have learned hey I can't let Felix dictate with the forehand I can't let things be easy for him and you know that sounds kind of obvious but good luck imposing your will against someone with the forehand as big as Felix Ogier Aliasim, but I thought Tsitsipas just did a great job uh, maybe even taking, you know, two, three miles per hour off the first serve, but just most importantly, hitting his spots and setting himself up for the plus one ball, and as we all know, when Stefano Tsitsipas is playing plus one tennis, getting to the net as often as he did in this match against Felix, more times than not, he's going to find himself in the winner's circle, and I thought that was the case today. Oh, definitely. I mean, look, this this performance to me is just a reminder of why Sitsipas, how really he was able to rise to that top circle of the game is because, man, when he's playing well and when he is imposing his game, he's just so dangerous, right? We've seen him beat the very top guys um, in the game, so it's no surprise here that he's able to come through, you know, over a guy with far less experience in Ogier Aliasim. Yeah, and I think for me the biggest thing to note is, A, it's probably the first time in his career, uh, at least ATP-wise, he's defended a title. And that feels relevant. You know, it, you go mm-hmm. around, first you're the up-and-comer, and then you get a seed, and now you're a defending champion. And he handled that defending champion as he seems to handle all the pressures right now. I think that's why he is so special um, with ease. And so that's a really good result for him. Now, the last point I want to make about these ATP results, and then we can wrap this bad boy up, but you look at our three winners this week, Jamie. Christian Guerin, he's age 23 right now, turns 24 this year. Um in Delray, Riley Opelka, he's 22 years old, turns 23 this year. In Marseille, Tsitsipas, he's still 21 years old, turns 22 later this year. You talk about the nine winners we've had uh, in this month. Opelka, Garen wins twice. Who are the other players to win titles? I can't Monfils. think of it at this Monfils did it, so I suppose that's uh, not He has great, two. But, yeah, so Monfils has two. 
Um, the point being, uh, you know, Garen has two as well. Nishioka's making the final. My larger point, FAA has made two finals. Here's my larger point. I've thought all week, and, uh, you know, this has been a theme we've harped on throughout Crack Racket's existence, really, is we keep waiting for that generational shift to happen. At the top level, obviously, the stranglehold of the big three, big four on the Grand Slams. Uh, still, that fever hasn't been broken. It's still all Nadal, all Djokovic, all Federer, all the time, uh, taking home those titles. But on a week-by-week level, at the 250 level, at the 500 level, we saw Medvedev do it in Cincinnati. We saw, I think it was Zverev and Medvedev in, in Shanghai at the end of last year as well. Dominic Team, Stefano Tsitsipas at the ATP year-end finals. I think the generational shift is happening before our eyes, Jamie. I think we are finally seeing, and it's a credit to those top guys, you know, Djokovic, Nadal, uh, Federer, they're not going to be playing every week anymore. And that was never in the plans for them once entering the 2020 season, I'm sure. But week in, week out, gone are the Chiliches and the Burdiches and even the Gofens and Rayoniches to an extent. And it feels like all of the guys we're seeing are in that 25 and under range. Now, I guess this qualifies as a good take, bad take, or hot take, Jamie. I think on the ATP side, because we're already there on the WTA side, Kenan, mm-hmm. Osaka, and Drescu are slam champions. That generational shift has happened. Uh, but I think it is finally you know, full-fledged, locked in to start this 2020 season. Generational shift is on. Good take, bad take, hot take. Uh, I think it's a bad take right now just because you know, you can't equate it to the WTA side. The WTA side, of course, you, you talk about that generational shift obviously happening, and what's the first thing you cite? It's those major titles. Since sure. we haven't seen that sort of breakthrough, yeah, look, I think, especially on the men's side, it's got to happen here first. So you talk about the week-by-week uh, basis, yes, I agree with you. Maybe not some of the names of like Brownich and Gofen, because those guys honestly are still phenomenal and can be threats in these. But you're right. We're seeing a lot of young names get deep into these tournaments. Um, you know, realistically, though, it can't just be at the 250s and 500s, right? Now, that's where it's got to start. We got to see that. And then more of the young guys break into the Masters category, sure. And then we build up all the way against the big guns in the majors. And I get that. So maybe perhaps we're starting to see it. But in terms of calling this the generational shift, I don't know. Maybe at the start of it, but I don't know. Bad take to say, like, this is it, just because we haven't okay. seen I mean, Djokovic, Djokovic is still dominant when it comes to the top. Um, Nadal, still dominant when it comes to the top, particularly Roland Garros. Fed, obviously, in and out with injuries. Um, but those guys still reign supreme. So can I give you my counter? Because obviously sure. I'm going to. Uh, there have been 13 non-ATP Cup, ATP 250 or high, higher level events thus far in uh, the 2020 season. Nine of them have been won by guys 25 or under. Andre Rublev's won two. Umber's won one. Garen's won two. Yuri Vesely, I may have counted incorrectly, but he's won one. That's six. Kyle Edmonds won another. That's seven. Casper Ruud is eight. Riley Opelka, nine. Ooh, I miscounted. Tsitsipas, ten. So ten of those first 13 titles, Jamie, are coming from guys under the age of 25. Now, it's entirely like you mentioned. You're not going to see Nadal, Djokovic, or Federer at... You may see them at an ATP 500. Tokyo last year for Djokovic pops to mind when he was chasing that year-end world number one. Uh, but you're certainly not going to see them at the 250 level. And if you do, there should be an in, uh, investigation launched right away into how that tournament managed to pay the $3 million to get Rafa Nadal all the way to Marseille, France in a random week in February because how that money got there it would be crazy. Um, but... 
I, I just I don't know how you deny that. Like, I, and I know you're not denying it. I apologize. I didn't mean to frame it as in you're saying I'm completely off. But that means something. I mean, they're they're now winning each and every week. They're also not playing. Nadal, no, Djokovic, and Fed haven't played a tournament since the Australian Open. So to no, me, that that's doesn't really fair. count. But tennis exists outside of the slams, and I know I don't have to tell Correct. you that. But Correct. but I'm saying but so for the for the non eight slam weeks of the season. The generation, generational shift, I guess, is what I'm saying, is on. It's fully fledged on the ATP side now. Maybe when you're talking, maybe when you're talking about comparing like an FAA and then like a Gasquet on his way out, I'll give you that. But in terms of taking out that top level, it, it's just simply not there yet. And yes, these titles are great to see for the guys under 25, for those young guns. But they're not going up against, you know, they're not going up against Djokovic, oh. Nadal, and Federer because they they haven't played a tournament since the Australian. So I, I don't know how you can say that. So let's end then with this framing. Stan Wawrinka and Stefano Tsitsipas play at Indian Wells. Just, you know, they're draw. let's say it's a quarterfinal match, whatever. Who do you favor heading into that one? Tsitsipas, but there's a lot of other factors there. I mean, Wawrinka, also another guy we haven't seen play a match since the Australian. So. Okay, Monfils and Tsitsipas <laughs> right now. I mean, Sitsipas, he's ranked way higher, right? So that's so there, what I'm there's saying. There's certain guys. There's certain guys, yes. But once again, that doesn't apply to okay. the top rank. But Who does it matter? Okay. I mean, Zverev, Zverev has been at the top of the game for a few years now. Right now, more likely right? to beat, so, right now, in, more in, likely to beat Novak logic. Djokovic. No, I'm sorry for ignoring you. You're right. But right now, more likely to beat Novak Djokovic. Hubie Hercatch, or I'm trying to think, who's like 30 years old, or like... I don't know. Jan Leonard Struff. You really want to go with that? Struff took the only set off in the Australian. <laughs> I'm not sure that's the bad. I don't know. If, no, I don't know. I don't know if it was the only stretch, but Look, I'm saying that's I'm just a, saying, I'm just saying by that logic, you know, you would have said the generational shift happened three years ago with Zverev, but we're not, we, we didn't say that. No, you know, so because it's, it's not it, just Alex Zverev, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's all of them. It's the Casper Roods of the world. It's the Christian Garens of the world. They're winning titles. I guess, look, this is a hill I'll die on forever. Um, but yeah, it, it would be nice to see them beat the guys at the majors, but they're beating everyone else everywhere so, else. And that is what I've here's, noticed. Here's the problem, and here's why i got to draw the line somewhere, is because technically at any point you could say the generational shift is starting. And at some point that take is right. It just matters how long of time you're measuring, right? Okay. <laughs> you, you could go back to 2017 and say, oh yeah, it's starting, look, it's Vera. It was just happened to be a six-year process, and then by that time you've weeded out those people. You could also say it starts now. You know what I mean? So, like, looking back, you're going to be able to say, oh, you know, it started here, yeah, started here. But, but I'm not saying it started. I'm saying it happened. You're saying it's here. It, it, yeah, I'm saying – like, I'm saying it, the, the you know, the the foreground, whatever, the the table was set by Zverev a few years ago and by Tsitsipas and Medvedev a couple of years after that and on and on and on, whatever. But now everyone's at the table and everyone's eaten. And if you're a next-gen guy, you know, the Ugo Umbers of the world, the Miomir Kasmenovichs, you're not afraid of no one. You know, now is your time. And it, it just feels like these guys, we're seeing it. They're playing with the confidence. They're like, yeah, I can play. You know, Diego Schwartzman doesn't scare me. Uh, you know, oh, I care, please. If you take the three best players out of this conversation, yeah, I think that's fair. The problem is they are the conversation when it comes to, to really the top of our game, so that's not really fair to do so, right? I mean, just look at the rankings simply in a list, and you can see that it pops out, you know? 
Um, you see the young guys who are rising, where they're multiple in the top 10 now. Look, I mean, we have, we've seen this. It's very Berrettini, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, um, even team who's a little bit older but pushing up and, and has been relevant for so long up there. Of course, that's the case in terms of generational shift. People are coming in that are younger. The problem is they still haven't knocked out those one, two, and three. And until that happens, I'm not going to go and tell you it's a good take. All right. That's fair. I, I think we can leave that argument. I mean, that's a discussion we've had literally for the past We will three continue years. to have it until they all retire. And no, we'll continue to have it, it until – until it's like, is the Carlos Alcaraz generation surpassing, you know, the Lucas Puiz of the world already? That'll be the next generational shift. Because generational shifts, they're always, they're always fun to talk about. It's, uh, this one just happens to be special in the sense that these guys have held on for so long. Yeah, absolutely true. And it's why for so long, guys like you and I, Jamie, were locked in to the challenger circuit, which is the last result. I just want to mention real quick, Max Cressy knocking out former Texas A&M, I believe All-American Arthur Rinderneck in the final there for Rinderneck. He had gone from not making it past the quarterfinal of a challenger to going winner circle and final these past two weeks for Cressy. That he has last year's Cleveland title off the books, comes back the week after, because uh, I think he lost round of 16 in, in, uh, in Cleveland this year. Wins in Drummondville, another indoor hardcore challenger, uh, you know, he didn't get broken served the uh, on serve the entire week, I think, for the six 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 seven serve and volley or return and volley, or if you haven't seen him play. It's really fun to watch because it's so different uh, than everyone else, but it's a really fun time to be a tennis fan because there are so, so many young players biting at the heels of these established veterans. It does feel like, you know, on both the ATP and WTA tours right now, you could get a different winner at a different tournament every different week and not be surprised. And they're going to have the chance to do just that again this week. Five really fun events across the board. On the women's side, you've got, uh, of course, the uh, event in Acapulco, as well as the event they've got going on right now in Doha as well. You talk about the top seeds there in Doha. Ashley Barty, the number one seed. Uh, Sabalenka, the two, I believe. Benchich, the four. Burton's the seven. You've got Sophia Kennan in action. Svitolina, Petra Kvitova. All of your great players are playing in Doha. And of course, in Acapulco, they're not going to leave you shy as well. Uh, players like Stone, Sloan Stevens uh, in the draw as well, although I think she's unseated. I think we might have actually had a couple of seats pull out in Acapulco. Nevertheless, it's going to be a really fun event there. And then on the men's side, you know, they've got the action in Dubai as well, where we're going to see Novak Djokovic playing for the first time in Australia. He's the one seed there. Gael Monfils, the three-seed Fodnini, the four-seed Tsitsipas, the two. Really fun floating first-round matchup between two guys in Hubie Hercatch and Alexander Sasha Bublik that are going to light it up. Uh, I guess Hercatch, Jamie, is, you know, he's Stone Cold Steve Austin. You're not going to see any, well, he's Stone Cold Steve Austin was very emotional, but you're not going to see any emotion out of Hubie Hercatch. Bublik could break three rackets before the end of the first game. Uh, so that's a really fun contrast there. And, of course, guys like Rublev, uh, Benoit Paramir, and Sh- floating throughout the Karen Hatchinov throwing throughout the draw as well Acapulco I mentioned uh Djokovic is in action in uh Dubai in Acapulco it's Rafa Nadal in action he's gonna play Pablo Andohar first really fun first round matches there Dimonau are gonna play uh Miomir Kasmanovic Opelka rematch from Delray Beach as he's gonna play Sunwoo Kwan there's a Wawrinka Tiafo matchup I'm all in on Nick Kyrgios Ugo Umber that should be a ton of fun as well of course the top seed is Nadal but then 
two seed Alex Zverev, four seed FAA, and the number three seed Stan Wawrinka. Number six seed Nick Kyrgios, as I mentioned, who's the defending champion there. And then on the dirt in Chile, number one seed Christian Guerin, number two seed Casper Ruud. Both of those guys have won titles thus far uh, on the dirt on the ATP Tour. So really fun sequence of events, Jamie. I don't know if you can... Probably the spot to be is Acapulco, right? Because they've got both the men Mm -hmm. and the women there. Yep, I think that's the place to be. There's going to be a lot of fun streaming um, on my end throughout the week, particularly um, for the action in Mexico. I mean, look, you, you look everywhere throughout that draw, and there are just dangerous players lurking, both the men's and the women's side. There are matchups that, um, you know, as you might say, they're juicy. Um, so they're going to be a lot of fun to, to watch, and yeah, I'm very excited for the action. And, and of course, if you miss any of the action, be sure to check in on our mini break podcast all week long, where we will be keeping you up to date on those biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Again, thank you to all of our friends who took the time to leave uh, you know reviews and uh, leave little messages for us to try and win John Isner, Steve Johnson gear. Now we don't have any more gear to give out for you, but we will still greatly appreciate those of you who do take the time to like, rate, subscribe review this podcast the cracked interviews podcast and the great shot podcast as well we should have a bunch of content on all three of our podcast streams throughout the week so be on the lookout for that and of course if you've missed anything be sure to go check out our website crackedrackets.com on the more immediate front twitter instagram facebook youtube for your more immediate updates throughout the day uh jamie any final thoughts before we wrap this bad boy i think you got it all Thorough. Thorough as always. Yeah, so well, I did not get the shout-out to our super producers, Max Slinger and Daniel Westhoff, who, as we learned with our technical difficulties tonight on the live GSP, they have a f***ing editing job to do, as always. So shout-out to those guys. But with that in mind, for my wonderful co-host, James Foster McDonald, our super producers, Max Slinger and Daniel Westhoff, our sponsors at both Aerobar and Diadem, the respective promo codes for Aerobar, Cracked 30, Diadem, CR50, to get money off your orders there. And from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the people? That's a break. That's a break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.